Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 9. In today's show, we'll be talking to Sharin Ross Ingram of the International Center for Strategic Planning about strategic marketing plans. Sharin's going to tell us how understanding the best channels to reach your target customer can help you get a better return on your marketing dollars. Good morning, Craig. Morning, Shai. How's it going this morning? Uh, doing great. I've been thinking about how we're coming into this election season already, even though it's a year away, and just getting bombarded with campaign. It's like one large tsunami coming after us, and it's going to be even more next year. Yeah, it's going to get messy. There's such a big field, you know, and you see the way it evolves and how they try to reach voters. And, you know, we had the local elections, of course, not too long ago, and you see the signs everywhere, and they're just sort of going for volume and awareness. But it's interesting when you look at the national stage, how much of it still seems to be focused on television. Television is very strong in specific markets of specific listeners. And look at the Super Bowl. I mean, actually, people look forward to the Super Bowl because of its commercials. Some people anyway. Yeah, I know that's true. I mean, the Super Bowl is definitely really developed into this fun sideshow to showcase new advertisements. And, and large companies spend a lot of money on there because, you know, with live events, they understand that that's one of the few ways to still get a captive audience because now so many people consume their media through pre-recorded events, very much like a podcast, or through Amazon Prime or Netflix, HBO Go, and other streaming sources of video. And it has a legacy to it, much like podcasts, in that once that commercial comes out and it's the winner of the Super Bowl, as far as the commercials that are out there, it becomes viral and goes on YouTube and is seen 24 by 7 around the world. Yeah, they really become iconic. And you think about when you look at the types of things that are marketed at the Super Bowl and then go on to be marketed at other live events, you can really see who that demographic is they're trying to reach of people that watch live sports. You know, it's a very wide demo, but you're seeing things like cars, beer, electronics. As opposed to the broadcast television that we see today, which is largely focused in the pharmaceutical industry. I agree with you. It's pharmaceuticals. And in addition to pharmaceuticals, this really brings us full circle back to the idea of national political campaigns. You know, it's interesting, Craig, I pulled some data on this, and there is a correlation between age and television viewing, also as it relates to voters. So in 2014, voting rates increased steadily with age from a low of 23% among 18 to 34-year-olds to a high of almost 60% for those 65 and older. And traditional TV usage has been falling between 18 to 34-year-olds at an annual rate of about 4% a year since 2012. And it took another 10% hit at the end of 2014. And this year in 2015, the median age of television viewers hit 50 years old. It's just not the marketing channel it used to be by far. Yeah, but if you are selling something to that age group, like pharmaceuticals, or trying to convince the highest percentage of most likely voters to vote for you. It's perfect. It's perfect, right? And so you can really double down with confidence that you're going to reach that exact segment. 
And it's fascinating how these were external forces sort of disrupted where the segment was, you know, where it used to be and where it is now. I mean, you know, this change in how we consume media, there's actually been a shift. So the older viewers are still there and they're aging. And as they age, they're still watching television. But those younger viewers have moved, haven't they? Well, it comes down to targeting and your audience may have moved and it always moves and you have to believe that it's going to move and you got to be watching for it. And that's why it's more important than ever to really be strategic about your marketing plan and to reevaluate it. You know, you need to measure all of your channels, of course, but reevaluating it on a regular basis, analyzing that data to see, am I still reaching my target or has my target moved to another channel? And we have a guest today who specializes in developing and understanding strategic marketing plans. Her name is Sharin Ross Ingram of the International Center for Strategic Planning. Hi, Sharin. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Hi, Shai. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me. Great to have you today. I think we'd like to start by having you tell us a little bit about the science and art of strategic planning. I'd be delighted to. I love talking about this stuff. In my work, I have the real privilege of looking at strategic planning from many lenses, but primarily through the numbers, so to speak, what I call objective numbers, but really at the end of the day, not, I don't think there's anything that's objective, and then applying my interpretation. So when I say the science, what my company does is a little different, and actually a lot different than most strategic planning companies as we really take a deep dive into what drives the demand for the products and services of our clients, and we generate what you would call leading indicators, basically graphs that sort of plot that out with the intention of monitoring and forecasting the demand for those products. And so that's the numbers and the science part of it all. And from that, we look at what we believe is happening in the world and what we believe is going to be happening in the world, and we do strategic planning around that. So the science is the numbers. The art is our interpretation of those numbers and what it means and where our clients should be investing their valuable resources. That's money and human capital. Shireen, I believe you said not all numbers are objective. What do you mean by that? Well, even with our numbers, I mean, we have a wonderful process and our own algorithm for developing these graphs. But at the end of the day, we are selecting the data points that go into generating that information. So at the end of the day, I don't believe any information is truly, truly objective. It is always based upon what the creator of that information thinks is important and not important. So truly subjective. Do you ever see that your clients look at numbers and interpret them just according to their bias and they're actually seeing it 180 degrees from the way you do? Oh, absolutely. And that's the beauty, actually, of it all. And that's why being surrounded by peers who see the world differently, we all take our information and view it differently. And in fact, when I am doing these sessions and, you know, and the workshops to interpret the data that they've hired us to prepare for them, there's a portion of that session that is completely dedicated to helping them uncover what they are seeing that we're missing because of our own personal bias. I mean, bias in strategic planning is a huge problem. If you are not conscious of the fact that there is bias and are actively putting measures in to reduce it, I'm I'm not sure you ever completely eliminate it, but certainly you can reduce the effect of it. I know that you're a world-renowned speaker as well on this topic. 
And one of your compelling things that you do is talk about not just developing a strategic plan in the area of marketing, but also how to stick with that plan. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I have been with so many people who we've done some planning for, but they did not want to invest in the monitoring aspect, the auditing aspect that we do to make sure people are actually not only achieving the goals that we're setting, but taking into account the new information that comes in while you're implementing and make sure that that's relevant and needs to affect. And what I find so often is when no one is there doing the oversight, the monitoring, just even the basic check-ins, you have a tendency to revert back to old habits, old ways of seeing it, and often not just get things done. I totally believe in having these checks and balances in place, if nothing else, as an insurance policy, so to speak, just to make sure you at least do what you said you were going to do so that you can get the information, the insights from that experience and then incorporated into future efforts. Accountability is such a challenge for the business owner. And I think one of the big reasons it is, is because they're entrepreneurs. They don't want other people telling them what to do. That's why they started their own business. Absolutely. But the deception there is thinking that accountability is about someone telling you what to do, where accountability is more about you just, one, doing what you're saying you're going to do, but getting some feedback and some insights. I mean, when you're sitting in your own little bubble, you can sit in your little office and come up with your ideas and all these other great things and think it's the next best thing to slice bread. And at the end of the day, going broke because you're not getting things done. And I mean, I can think of this for my own self. When I first left the world of law as as a practicing attorney, you know, we have in the law, you are really taught to have this crazy, and it is crazy, mindset about what it means to be a lawyer. And I know other professions do this as well. For example, I mean, I really had this thought that, you know, certain types of marketing, certain things that people do to promote themselves was simply beneath who I was, <laughs> beneath my level of professionalism. So when I went to the entrepreneur side, I was going broke because I couldn't get a brochure out the door to save my life within six months. And I would sit behind my desk, and I remember this one time, I had this brilliant idea that I was going to create this beautiful brochure. I knew that if I didn't look at it over time, it would have mistakes and misspelled words and just it needed fresh eyes. So I had this brilliant thought that I was going to look at it every three days, sort of look at it, tweak it. And I would do that for three months and then I would release this promotional piece. In hindsight, that was pure, absolute madness. But I was sitting in my own little world and it seemed like a great idea. How many times do you have what you think is a great idea and then you're around an accountability partner or a peer or sometimes just your spouse and you tell them about the great idea and they ask you two or three questions and you immediately realize how unfounded your great idea really is? For me, almost daily, and I'm not kidding, I come up with ideas daily that after having them vetted out a little bit shows that either they need a lot more development before they even come close to being something worth investing real resources into, or they, they need to just be dropped. And their whole purpose was just to keep me in thinking mode and not necessarily be brought to the world. Shrinan, one of the areas that I just love to dive into, and it really comes up in the accountability side too, is in the marketing and the strategic marketing planning 
that I know that you get involved with yourself. And along those lines, what should I be looking at on a strategic standpoint at a high level on the marketing side? First of all, honestly, you got to have a marketing mindset because nothing you're going to be putting into practice will be sustained if your mind isn't in the right place to embrace and live the lifestyle of marketing because marketing is not just an activity. It really is a, a lifestyle, at least for those who do it well. But the concrete areas, of course, you're looking at is positioning, your branding, publicity, networking, having a referral strategy, staying top of mind. And in all of my marketing plans, there is a component for accountability. I think that's an integral part of every single plan, at least it should be. So along those lines, when I'm looking at my past marketing for the last year, how much do you think I should be spending in marketing? No, that's a very loaded question, Craig, honestly. <laughs> I mean, so many factors go into it. Everything from actually what you have available to the goals you actually have for the marketing. I mean, I can just give you one example in one particular area. I had a client who regularly spent at least $100,000 a year annually on going to trade shows. It was a huge, huge part of his marketing, and he honestly believed that that is where he was generating his results from. And because it was such a huge part of a dwindling budget, mind you, because sales were going down and at most points staying flat, we did a five-year analysis of where every single client that he took on actually came from. And when we did that, we realized it wasn't coming from the trade shows like he thought it was. And so... We took on upon a serious, a conscious effort in 2015 to reduce the budget significantly. 25000 was the max he was allowed to expend. And at the end of the day, we recognized that not only did sales go up because the other 75000 was used in other areas, but he realized that trade shows really wasn't where he was getting the bang for his buck. And I have no doubt that I think next year he'll spend even less. That's impressive. And where did he go from there, from the standpoint of trade shows weren't the direction? How did that end up? We actually invested more money and time into doing positioning for him in terms of making sure the message he was sending out about what his company did and the expertise they had in that was very clear. And then we invested more of it into email type campaigns, awareness building, staying top of mind. And I guess some people would call that more publicity. But we needed to make sure more people knew about what he was doing than just the people who invested time in coming to trade shows. How do you evaluate some of the results you're seeing from past performance on one of your clients? Sure. You know, I was very surprised how most of the people I encounter don't track the source of a client. Maybe they don't have enough of them in their mind and they feel like they're going to be remembered. But most of the time I'll ask someone, tell me, where do your clients come from? And after thinking about it for a moment, oh, well, I get a lot of referrals. But I mean, you should know that number. I mean, unless you're dealing with thousands of clients and if you are, then you have help and that help should be tracking where the clients are coming from. But how can you really know where your biggest bang for the buck is going to be if you're not tracking? Did it come through the internet? Did it come through a referral source? Did it come from the trade show? Did they respond to an email campaign? I mean, did you meet them at a networking event? I mean, you need to know this basic information so that you can put more money behind what's working 
and either tweak or get rid of the stuff that's not performing. As I recall, a great marketer once said that if it's not measured, it's a mess. Absolutely. And that's something that you can measure. I even have some of my clients track their phone calls a day. I mean, we need to know what your conversion rate is on inquiries as well. Shireen, I'd like to get a little more into your seven-step marketing plan. Can you give us an overview of what that's like? Sure. Like I said, it always begins with mindset. Mindset before skill set. The next step I'm looking at is the positioning. And by that, I mean, how are you communicating your competitive advantage? And I really believe that communication of your competitive advantage really is the foundation of strategic marketing because it's the basis for all of your communications with your prospects as well as your clients. So if you're not clear about your competitive advantage and if you're not communicating that in the most succinct and provocative way, then I think you're going to see that your results are not going to be as fruitful as you would hope. So once your positioning is in place, then, of course, you need to design an image around that. And that's the branding piece. The next piece of that would be publicity. And I define publicity really as the science and art of getting other people to tell your target market that you're an expert, that you're great, that you're an all-around great person. It's really this kind of third-party endorsements that enhances your credibility, your expert status, and quite frankly, in most respects, it's free. I mean, you spent time doing it, but it's not like paid advertising, which people will always question anyway if you're paying for advertising. I believe you have to have a strategy for networking. It's not enough just get out there and talk to people, but are you in the right places and do you have the right message when you are in those places talking to the right people? And most importantly, of course, with networking, do you have a follow-up strategy that you are consistently implementing? The money is in the follow-up, and most people don't do that. They have a drawer full or a shoebox full of business cards that they've done nothing with, and they have no idea what to do with that. So having a clear strategy on the follow-up is absolutely critical. Referrals is another area you have to have a strategy for. Part of a referral strategy is having that system in place for meeting people, educating them on what you're doing, and teaching them how to introduce you to other people. Staying top of mind. I mean, you can tell people what you do. They can know, like, and love you. But if when an opportunity comes that's right for you and they're not thinking of you, you still don't get the business. And my husband, I mean, he has a transportation company with, you know, limo buses, vans. And he had a very good friend of his while he was out in a social setting talk about this limousine company that he had just hired to do his brother's wedding. And my husband looked at him like, why didn't you call me? And the friend just said to him, as a matter of fact, oh, I completely forgot that that's what you do. And I just laughed. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. So they can know, like, and love you. But if they don't remember you in the moment that an opportunity comes to mind, all that other stuff you've been working on is all for nothing. How do I achieve staying top of mind with everyone I meet? Is it just repetition or is there other things I can be doing? It's been my experience to maintain top of mind awareness your prospects, your people need to hear from you, I think, twice a month. That's what I do for my clients. It's a kind of plan we put around them twice a month. Be relevant, be helpful, and give. 
So you can never contact me too much if it's helpful and relevant to what I'm doing. But beyond helpful is earning a place of trust with them. I mean, what have you been giving them that's not purely promotional? I mean, so often even articles can be here. Here's a great tip sheet on how to do X, Y, and Z. But when you read it, it's filled with overt promotion. And that's what turns people off. People just want information that they need. When thinking about your story about your client that was using trade shows to try to be in front of people and then in challenging that client, you know, having them come to their own realization that, you know, this isn't really leading to conversion. So even though I'm putting myself out there, this isn't really the way that I'm staying at top of mind with my best customers. And then after you help them change that strategy, they had some pretty significant results in improving their, their spend and their return on that spend. Yeah, when you really don't have anybody calling BS on you, okay, so to speak, you will continue in behavior that seems right, feels right, most importantly. But you know what? I think it has more to do with just being in a comfort zone. He's a very social guy. He loves his product, and they do great work in the world. So he naturally wants to be in more social circumstances where he can let his personality shine and reflect. He's a great sales guy, but he obviously needed to spend his money in a different way to get him in more positions to be the sales guy. He was confusing marketing with selling in that case. And once we switched the equation around for him, conversions went up. Could you tell us a few of the most important actions that you think a business owner could take as they prepare for next year? Absolutely. The first thing that comes to mind, hands down, is to do a critical look at what you've done this past year. And in some cases, you're going to have to go back even a few years, like we did for my client in the trade show, to really understand where your business has come from. So whether it was your referrals, whether it was networking efforts, internet, direct mail, however it came, you need to know because that takes me to point number two is to start clearly evaluating the effectiveness of the individual strategies you've done so far. And then make sure you're clearly communicating that competitive advantage. And the final thing I would simply say is really seek out those kinds of objective insights, preferably through both one-on-one coaching and getting yourself in a very intentionally put together peer group. It's great advice. Thank you for joining us today, Sharin. We really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you guys for having me. It has been a total blast and pleasure. I love talking about this stuff. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, yeah, I guess, you know, and this could be point number five. <laughs> Is that to go to this webpage that I've created just for your listeners, and I'll have a tip sheet on there that lists all the components of the marketing plan that we've talked about and given a little more insight into what I mean by those things and some clear next steps that they can take. And that webpage is sharin.com forward slash business owners radio. And Sharin is spelled S-H-E-R-R-I-N dot com forward slash business owners radio. Sounds great. Thanks, Sharin. Thank you. Our guest today has been Sharin Ross Ingram of the International Center for Strategic Planning. You can learn more about Sharin at Sharin.com and download the tip sheet in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. 
Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business. Business.